Thanks for coming with us again as we make this trip during the season of Lent with Jesus from Galilee in the north where he began his ministry to Jerusalem in the south where his ministry comes to its climax. And along the way, we listen to the stories that Jesus tells to allow them to get inside us and shape our imaginations, to invite us into the kingdom of God and to live in light of it. As we come to another story this week, we have just two left. This week's is another story about prayer, but it goes far deeper than that. As we turn to listen to these words, would you pray with me that God might speak to us? Lord, it's in your light that we see light. It's in your truth that we find freedom, and it's in your way that we find peace. So come and shine upon us, we pray, O Lord, that we may know you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book we love. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves they were righteous and looked down on everyone else with disgust. He said, Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Now the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed with these words, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people. Crooks, evildoers, adulterers, and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. Instead, he beat his chest. And he said, God, make atonement for me, a sinner. I tell you that he went down to his house justified rather than the other one. Whoever lifts themselves up will be brought low, but whoever makes themselves low will be lifted up. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Two people go up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee's life is devoted to religion, to God, and to righteousness. The Pharisees took God very seriously, and their strenuous practice of religion comes from a deep desire to be faithful to God. They talked about God's law, God's ways, as though it were a beautiful garden, and in order to not trample accidentally on any of the plants in God's garden, they built their own fence out around it, their own rules and ways. And if they didn't break through that fence, then they certainly wouldn't accidentally break any of God's laws. They were people who were esteemed in their communities. They upheld the faith. They kept the law. They were responsible and respectable. Not so much the tax collector. And that day, Israel is ruled over by the Roman Empire. And as such, Rome imposed significant taxes upon them to pay for their wars, their expansion projects, and their lavish lifestyle. 
Those taxes were placed down upon puppet rulers over the people. In this case, that's Herod. And Herod would employ local men to exhort and collect that tax out of the people. Now, nobody likes paying taxes. I'm doing my taxes now, and I don't like the idea that I'm going to owe the government even more money than the estimated taxes that I pay. But that's at least going to my own government. Imagine it's going to an occupying military force and that your neighbor is the one who comes knocking on your door demanding the money be paid to those who are actively oppressing you and your nation. Tax collectors are no one's friend. And add on top of that that many of them in the day had a reputation for demanding excess taxes that they would pocket and get rich in the middle because who would you complain to? A sharper contrast could not be drawn as between the Pharisee and the tax collector. And yet in Jesus' story, notice that both of them are going up to the temple. Both of them are going to prayer. Now each day in the temple, there was only one daily recurring gathering for worship and prayer. It was the daily atonement sacrifice. It took place at dawn and again at three o'clock in the afternoon In that service, it would begin outside the sanctuary at the high altar. The priest would sacrifice a lamb on the altar, sprinkle its blood around the base of the altar in a very precise ritual. Trumpets, silver trumpets would blast, cymbals would crash, the priest would read a psalm, and then the designated priest for the day would go into the sanctuary to offer incense and pray And while that priest is inside, those gathered offer their prayers to God as well. It's the scene we saw with Zechariah when he's inside and the angel Gabriel appears to him back in Luke 1 when it's told that his son John will soon be conceived and born. And this is the scene Jesus is assuming as he tells this parable just a day or two before he himself arrives at Jerusalem. And it's in this time of prayer that the Pharisee stands up before that high altar having witnessed the sacrifice for atonement and lifts up his voice to pray aloud, God, I thank you, I'm not like all these other people. Standing by himself, no doubt to avoid any potential contact with these unclean common masses of people, but praying loud enough for everyone to hear, not like these crooks and evildoers and adulterers or even that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of everything I receive. And no doubt those who heard him praying would have been impressed. Jews were only required to fast one day a year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. The Pharisees added on top of that two days of fasting before and after the three major festivals, feasts. So 12 more days a year. But this Pharisee blows past all of them and fasts twice each week. What impressive spirituality. What deep devotion and dedication to God. What a vibrant faith he must have, right? But that's not all. He also gives a tenth of everything he receives. Now, there was a standard in the day that the rabbis had established. It's written in the Mishnah. It says this, Whatsoever is used for food and is kept watch over or that grows from the soil is liable to tithes. But even then, 
there was a significant set of exceptions that ran on for pages after it in the Mishnah. This Pharisee allows no exceptions for his own practice. He gives a tenth, a tithe of every single thing. What generosity! What deep trust that God will provide! This is a man of great faith, or so it seems. And then there's the tax collector. As he makes his way to the temple that day, it says he remains at a distance. No doubt feeling unworthy to come close to the action and close to God's presence. It's not stated, but we can presume that means he's out in the court of Gentiles, the outer court inside the temple where Gentiles were allowed to gather for prayer but come no closer He did not come any closer either going into the court of women or inside of that to the court of Israel where the altar and the action are. A place he could have gone but must feel unworthy. He can't even look up toward heaven as he prays. Instead, he beats his chest. A sign that he is deeply distraught and an action that is not common or really acceptable among Middle Eastern men but he beats his chest and lifts up his prayer. Here he stands, having watched the sacrifice offered, the blood splashed on the altar, hearing the trumpets and cymbals and the psalm, watching the priest go into the sanctuary to offer the incense that is the prayers of God's faithful people, watching the priest return and announcing that the sacrifice for atonement has been accepted by God, that the sins of the people have been washed away by that atoning blood, hearing the trumpet blast again, the great choir sing, and this tax collector huddling in the back, beating his chest, prays, God, make atonement for me, a sinner. Here are two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector, the most obvious sinner and most obvious saint Jesus can muster. They've both come to the temple for worship. They have both witnessed the daily atonement sacrifice. They both lipped up their voices to pray. But oh, how different could their prayers be? And Jesus says it's the tax collector who will go home justified made right with God, declared righteous, saved, forgiven. Not the Pharisee, who is demoted by Jesus and referred to simply as the other one. The tax collector is the one who goes home justified. This guy, the traitor, the one who works for the enemy, who extorts money out of his own people, who robs us blind and cheats us all, the most obvious sinner in our midst. He's the one who goes home right with God and forgiven, not the Pharisee, the most obvious religious guy around. How can this be so? How many more times am I going to get to use this quote by Tim Keller? If you want God's grace... All you need is need. Why is the tax collector justified and not the Pharisee? Because he asked God to justify him. Because he had faith and trusted that God could do it and would do it. 
because he knew that he was a sinner and didn't use religion to cover that up and pretend that he wasn't. Because he came to God for forgiveness, not to brag about how great he was and not to use God to increase his social status. Because he knew that his worth and his identity and his life were all for naught if he wasn't right with God. The Pharisee's prayer was all about himself. It wasn't even really a prayer. It was an act of self-promotion. He wasn't really praying to God. He was telling God and all those in earshot all the things he had done for God. Now maybe that was all out of pride and it was just pure self-advertising and he just wanted everyone to know how great he was. Or maybe there was a prayer underneath that somewhere but that he thought in order to get what he wanted to get out of God, he needed to advertise his religious resume to make sure God knows what God owes him for all his offerings, for all his prayers, for all his fasting, for all his service, for everything I've done for you, God. Answer my prayer. Whichever it is, it's still all about him. He's in the setting of prayer. He's a religious person, but he is not looking to God at all. He is looking only at himself, trusting in himself and his worth. His identity is all wrapped up in what he is doing and who he is. At our core, where is our worth and identity placed? On what are we staking our lives How is it that we believe we will be okay in the end? The Pharisee staked his life on his religious performance. Now we should be clear, there's nothing wrong with any of the things he did. Fasting twice a week, giving 10% of all you receive to God. There's nothing wrong with taking God's ways seriously. But there is something wrong with staking your life on those things with thinking you will be okay in the end because you made it a habit of coming to worship, because you gave your offerings to God, because you read your Bible every morning and prayed, because you were baptized and confirmed, because you went on some mission trips or helped out with walk-in dinners or the food pantry, because you went to seminary and became a pastor and decided to use your life and your talent to serve God and others. Those things are great, but none of that is what will save you. On what are we staking our lives? Up until quite recently, the tax collector was trusting his life to some things that might sound a little more common in our context. Wealth, success, power. He had sold himself to Rome for an opportunity to get rich. He gave up relationships with family, friends, and neighbors for a job that promised a lot of money. He chased after it at the expense of everything else. If his life was going to matter, if he was going to matter, it would be because he was rich and important. But he realized at some point that that wasn't going to save him either. Where have we placed our worth? our meaning, our identity? What are you living like will save you? Your religious performance? 
your wealth, success, power. I talked to a friend this week about this passage who said, um, you know, I don't think I've ever prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like this other person. But I have definitely prayed, God, thank you that my kids are not their kids. Is your worth and identity placed in your children, grandchildren, your family? Is family the most important thing in your life? Because that's not going to save you either. Why does the tax collector go home justified and not the Pharisee? It's because he knows that there is nothing he can do to justify himself. There is nothing he can do to get right with God, to save himself, to be okay in the end. And so, instead of continuing to try to lift himself up, to try to climb a little higher and a little higher and a little higher, he gets off the ladder. He gives up. He empties himself entirely. And praise God, you're going to have to do it. God, you can do it. God, make atonement for me, a sinner. I believe in telling this parable, Jesus is telling a far more powerful version of Paul's famous verse. That we are justified by grace through faith not by works, so that no one can boast. Why does your life matter? Where is your worth and identity? In what do you boast? Is it in what you've done? Your skills, your accomplishments, your status, your well-adjusted, successful family? Is it because you give money to the church and volunteer here when asked because you're generally nice to your neighbors? Are you trusting that you'll be okay in the end because you have enough money saved to live comfortably? Or does your life matter because you're a sinner? Because you are broken and distorted? And yet for some reason, God has taken note of you and your prayers And God has come to do what you could not. Has come to find you while you are still a long way off. Has given his own blood to wash you clean. Has adopted you as a son or daughter who is now beloved. Not because of anything you've done or will do. In fact, despite everything you've done and will do. Beloved. See, God's grace is amazing and profound, but also utterly simple. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you want to lift yourself up, you're going to be brought low. If you want to keep doing this on your own, then that's all you're going to get. But, If you're willing to give it up, to lay it all down, to empty yourself, to get real and honest about your brokenness, 
then there is one who will pick you up. There is one who will put you back together. There is one who will forgive your sins and save you. And then and only then will you be able to rest in his love. So let's give up once and for all praying like the Pharisee and join the tax collector's prayer. Maybe you've prayed this prayer a hundred times. Maybe you've never prayed it before. But you've come to the end of yourself. You've seen the sum of what you can do, capable as you are. You've seen what wealth and success and power can offer and you're still left wanting. Or maybe you've just caught a glimpse of what Jesus is offering today and you want in. Whatever the reason, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, make an atonement for me, a sinner. Jesus, if I'm going to be okay in the end, you're going to have to do it. If my life is going to matter, you're going to have to do it. If I'm going to be worth anything, it's going to be because of you. So for the first time or for the hundredth time, I'm done lifting myself up. I'm done doing this alone. I need you, Jesus. So come and fill my life. Come and put me back together. Come and forgive me, making me whole so that I can walk with you and find my life in your name. It's in that name that we pray. Amen.